0: if you could please introduce yourself to the audience, um, where you're from, including your roots. Do not leave that part out. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. And then all of the amazing work that you do thus far.
1: Okay, perfect. Um, So hi everyone. My name is Therese Tia Harper. I am a documentary filmmaker. I'm currently residing in London, but I'm originally from Oxnard, California. So I'm hoping that the listeners out there in LA are familiar with it. It's an hour north of Los Angeles in between Malibu and Santa Barbara. We are along the coast. I am of Trinidadian heritage. Both my parents are Trinidad immigrants coming to the country in the 60s and 70s. So my work has been focused on making documentaries about both my identities, my Trinidad and Tobago heritage, and my American nationality. So I first started off making The Other Side of Carnival, which is a documentary about the carnival in Trinidad and Tobago and the socioeconomic effects of the event in the country. And then I moved on to making something called 12 Months, which is about a man in Los Angeles who rented his three bedroom home to a woman and her four children who are essentially homeless for a year. They had to pay a dollar a month. And we go through them throughout um, throughout those 12 months to see if that impacted them to leave the home and then do better or worse. So that's the journey. And then I went back to my Trinidad roots and I made a film called Panamundo. It's a two-part documentary that looks at the history of the steel pan in the island as well as how it gained international recognition in six other countries, so I've been dabbling with both. And finally, my latest documentary—it's *The Jill of the Trade*. It's a short documentary, which which was actually which actually started. And Christian, tell me when to stop. Uh, it okay? It actually came about um, because I actually wanted to do a feature-length documentary called *Las Matadoras* about three female bullfighters. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, that had to take a back seat. And I ended up focusing on, uh, a, or I ended up doing a short documentary, looking at five women from around the world who work in male dominated professions. I feel at this moment, I really wanna focus on women related issues, meaning uh, highlighting, uh, cause I feel like the hashtag me too movement, that's been very prevalent yeah. in, in the late, I, I guess 2010s. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to show that women can do so much. I mean, we are doing I mean, right now, we have Kamala as the first female vice president around the world. There's female prime ministers, female presidents. And I just really wanted to showcase that women can do so much. So mm-hmm. Las Matadoras would have been the, uh, for me, such a strong feature because growing up in Oxnard, it's it's a city with a large percentage of Mexican speaking residents. Mm-hmm. So I've always been attracted to, to, to the Latin culture. And Las Matadoras would have allowed me to further explore that culture, starting in Spain, looking at a woman in Peru and then Mexico. But then with the Jill of the Trade, I was able to talk to five women virtually, one from Afghanistan, Russia, the United States, uh, Eritrea, as well as Colombia. So I was still able to focus on my women, touching a bit on my Latin, coming back to the US, and going in different parts of the world. So that is me in a nutshell. And I, yeah, and I ended up in London because I feel this is such a great city to be immersed around various cultures, languages, food, inspiration. And I still hold that to be true, that I think London is a gateway to the world. And that's why Um, I'm here.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. So we have a lot to cover. A lot. (laughs) Yes. And I know, I know we're here for the Jill of the trade, but I I'm not gonna be able to help myself from mentioning 12 months because I saw that, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to ask questions about that film too.
2: <laughs> oh, please do. Uh,
0: um. So, but first, our warm up questions. So, if you're ready. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your favorite part about your culture, whether that's music or food or a specific location that really reminds you of home um, or even your parents' roots as well. Um, What would you, if you were to pick one thing and say, everyone should experience this, what would that be?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. So thank you for (laughs) really thinking about something different and creative. My favorite part of my culture I feel carnival would be the most obvious one because it's something, I mean, I think Trinidad and Tobago's carnival as well as Brazil's carnival, and of course Mardi Gras in the US is very popular around the world. But would I tell people that that's my favorite? I would say my favorite is the people, the Trini people from around the world, including like in in Trinidad and Tobago itself, but around the world, no matter where you are, if you see a Trinity person, that warmth and that love and that passion for their country, I feel that very. they are very, we are very nationalistic. We have a lot of pride for our country. I'm a dual citizen, so I have equal amount of pride for being American as well as Trinidad and Tobago. I, I guess Trinity, wait, Trin-Tobagonian? Wait, Trin, yeah, Trin-Bagonian. I think that's how they combine it, Trin-Bagonian. And I think, yeah, people have to uh, just meet Trin, yeah, meet Trin-Bagonians. I think that we're just fun, happy, exciting. There's so many things that they will tell you about, which would be about the mu- um, the music, the food, carnival, and the lifestyle. So I think meeting, just meet a Trini person and you would find out so much about our culture. So I would think wow. that that's my number one, the people. They're very yeah. interesting, lovable, fun people.
0: Wow, is there like a specific like community? Cause I know that you'll find sort of pockets of community over here in like LA. Um, and, like, even take, like, Denmark, for example, and Danish people, too. Um, if you went all the way up to Northern California, there's a tiny, tiny little, like, Danish community.
2: <laughs> and
0: they actually sell, like, rye bread and things like that in different pastries and stuff. Um, so you can find those pop- pockets. Would you be able to find, like, a Trini pocket here in L.A. or somewhere in California?
1: So in making my documentary Panamundo, I was able to mm-hmm. uncover a small Caribbean community. I, and then but, and when I say Caribbean, it was a large, a large percentage were tr- were Trini, but there were also people from St. Vincent, St. St. Lucia. So okay. it was really in, I would say that Inglewood, uh, Westchester oh. area.
2: Uh-huh.
1: There used to be a, a Caribbean restaurant there. I heard it closed down, but mm-hmm. there's another one. My sister told me that just propped up, but um, there used to be one in in Inglewood and Studio City. Now I can't remember where it is, but there is a Trini restaurant there. That's the only pocket that I've found in Los Angeles. But as you know, there's a huge population in New York, in uh, Washington, D.C., in Miami.
0: Wow. Wow. So, uh,
1: but then the biggest thing I want to note is that when people say Caribbean, they think Jamaican. and yeah. Trinidad and Jamaica are very different. Our our populations are different. Uh, Trini mm-hmm. is, um, is a mixture of Africans and Indians. Mm-hmm. And I feel that our country as well as Guyana are the only two in the Caribbean to have that ethnic makeup of the culture I mean of the Mm. country
0: right right definitely because I think that is where most people's minds wonder like, oh Jamaican when you just say Caribbean but no it's it's a common misconception it really is it really
1: it's it's very true and then I feel Mm Uh, sad for the smaller islands at least trinidad has over 1 million people
2: yeah <laughs> and,
1: uh, even though that's still small that's big for uh for the islands so the other ones that people always forget it's it's just sad but i'm but i really always like to to point out that that trinidad and tobago is very different from jamaica
0: wow wow cool cool i'm gonna have to see if um if that restaurant is still there hopefully they're not closed because i'm actually from inglewood california that's great great ah, so yeah. i'm gonna have to like start doing some googling and be like is it there so like, yeah.
1: you know what yeah. it just hit me it's called caribbean tree house that's caribbean the name of
0: the tree house
1: yes okay. I, I, yeah so i heard how they closed down but please please double check that
0: i'm actually looking it up so. ah, okay. because <laughs> i'm going there on set sunday anyways <laughs>
2: let's
0: see There is, it's a restaurant, uh, but it is closed. It is, Unfortunately, it is, oh wait, hold on. It's just closed for today. Oh. So yeah, so maybe they're still open. So I will contact you and let Ah! you know if they're still open and they're still up in business. Nice, uh, nice. It looks like they still have like hours online.
1: Okay, Mm -hmm. good stuff. Yes, yes, I really- yeah, I, I went there. We had actually a fundraising event there for Panamundo. Really good food. I would highly recommend it.
0: Wow. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure that I visit it. Well, okay. Speaking of traveling and going to different places, what do you think is the best place you've ever visited? During- oh,
1: you know, I always have this conversation. Uh-huh. Can I give you three, my top three? Or yes. I, yes. One. Uh-huh. Okay. Top three would be, and not in any particular order, I would, just my top three, Lagos. Okay. i loved lagos everyone has such not everyone a lot of people have a misconception when you, when you talk about africa in general yeah. the continent of africa people already have an idea of what it is and then then when you start naming things like nigeria it's like oh but yeah so much fun the i think the will when you're poor you get very creative with mm-hmm. ways to make money that legal ways to make money and ways to make things stretch out longer mm-hmm. for example a dollar, you know how you could just easily spend a dollar, but they'll find a way to spend, to make that dollar go for a long way. And I just thought that the creativity, and again, the warmth of the people and the energy and the wanting to do better, because Nigeria is the most populous country on the continent of Africa. And Mm -hmm. um, sadly, there is a lot of corruption going on there. So although the country is rich in resources, a lot of that doesn't trickle down to the people. So I just love seeing the people finding a way to still survive and the energy and the passion for the music and for film and for life. So love, love, absolutely love Lagos. And I would definitely recommend anyone go there. I mean, yeah, I recommend everyone to go there. Second Cuba, mm-hmm. loved, loved Cuba. I think Cuba, I love again, the Latin culture and the, and I love salsa dancing. So having that, uh, that, you know i guess i guess being an american and you always hear oh cuba's communist stay away and yeah yeah mm-hmm. and you know meeting the people everybody's the same no matter where you go no matter how rich they are how poor yeah.
2: they
1: are the same. <laughs> 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 and <their laughs> vibe and the love of life the dancing the culture the the history the things to see loved cuba again something I highly recommend everyone do and my third And this is very cliche because I didn't want to do it. My sister uh, lived, lived in Hawaii and she's always like, visit me. Come visit me. I'm like, no, I already been to Trinidad. I've been around the Caribbean. They're Uh better.
0: Right. You'll never compare. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Christian, I'm guilty. I went to Maui. (laughs) Oh, Oh. (laughs) beauty, beauty at its finest manicured lawns. uh, The, the, the story, the history of the island, the people, the culture, the food—guilty, yeah. I, I now have to be—I jumped on <laughs> <in> the bandwagon. <laughs> so those three, I would have to say. So Maui is the only island I went to, so I can't talk oh. about Oahu and other places. Mm-hmm. But so, Cuba, Lagos, Maui—I, my top three, and I would, yeah, I, I loved it so much. Very wow. peaceful. The last two very peaceful Lagos, it's always something going on. Yeah. So you gotta be <laughs> ready to
0: be <laughs> You better be ready, full of energy.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> awesome. I have to visit those um those places because I haven't been to any any of them, not even Hawaii. Okay, so no, no. um, yeah, great. Okay. And then the final warm-up question is all right. So think of one airport. Uh, you've been to is because I'm sure you've done a lot of flying. (laughs) If you had the opportunity to speak to the manager and and recite them a whole essay of complaints and things like that, what airport would that be?
1: (laughs) Okay, Christian, I want you to answer this question first because, okay, because like you said, I've been, I've traveled to 38 countries. And, you know, actually being in the countries, but I would say airports total, I've been to about 45 in terms of, you know, having the layovers and whatnot Uh Mm -hmm. of every place that I've been to. Let me just first start off by saying the best airport I've been to Taipei, Taipei airport. Amazing. So Taiwan's airport. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Love Taipei. The worst. Okay. Let me ask you that question. What's the worst (laughs) airport you've been in? Because I think we may say the same thing.
0: okay so there hasn't been too many airports that i've experienced like um overseas or anything like that um because most of the time you just hop on the train and then you're there so um i don't know i've never had too many bad airport experiences but for some reason california like lax always gets me yes. <laughs> like <laughs> LAX, I just, I can't do LAX. I try to love it because I'm here, but no. I I,
1: am so happy you said that. that. That is my answer too. LAX Los Angeles <laughs> International Airport. What is going on? The bathroom, the especially the bathroom. My sisters and I always talk about how bad this airport is, and everyone would think it'll be great because it's LAX. Right. It's the worst airport Four. ever. <laughs> TSA doesn't even do their job. Do you know how many times I've been able to get to get through security with a with a deadly object? By accident, of course. Right. And I mean, come on, TSA, the bathrooms. Uh, <laughs> Oh, LAX. Yeah. To me. I, and I'm so glad you said that too. because like, I was
0: all like, it, it gotta be LAX because like I never had a problem with O'Hare because I've been to like Chicago a lot. <laughs> never had a problem with Midway. Never had a problem going to Atlanta. Never had a problem anywhere else. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and it doesn't matter if you're flying you're out or coming in. It's always an issue. Yeah, yes, I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: to our listeners we did not organize this we did not no. plan this Mm-mm. i i literally just asked him the question as he asked me and this is <laughs> yeah lax i'm so embarrassed because of, well, when, I, when i tell friends to come visit me when i'm back home i'm like hey come through it and right everyone, and they're still excited because it's because it, it, it's la but uh-huh. so many things so many things la you, you try need to, to like that go thing.
0: around and be like maybe they can come in through like john wayne yeah <laughs> 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 like i will make the drive (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) thank you thank you yes i'm waiting for them to build a train everyone keeps saying how they're supposed to be the subway connecting lax to downtown that needs to come into play because of traffic as well yes
0: oh my gosh
1: the traffic alone
0: is awful oh man so when when was the last time you were out over this way
1: yeah, so I come home every, um, not every summer, every winter. I always come home oh. for Christmas. Christmas oh, wow. is very, very big in my family. So yeah. I came home, yeah, so I came back here in mid-January.
2: Okay. And
1: last year, actually, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, I was home for six months, which is is great. I love being home. I do. I get so excited. I I wish I could go back twice a year, but because I'm traveling different places, trying to promote the film or trying to make a film, it's hard to get back there. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love home. So yeah, every year for sure, I will be there.
0: Wow. Wow. But I'm pretty sure that you've seen LAX at its worst during the holidays. Oh. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Why
1: Why? <LAXY? laughs> right.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So more on a, not even a lighter note, but like a philosophical note too. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, before we get into the Jill of the trade, let's talk about 12 months because I had to ask you at least yeah. one question from that. Of course. So you gave us a brief description of what 12 months was about. Um, could you expand a little bit more on it just to recap for the audience before I ask this question?
1: Of course. Yes. Uh, so 12 months was my documentary. It's a, it's a 64 minute documentary that I filmed in 2012 and 2013. It was released in 2014. And it's about a woman who um, she was living in, a, I I want to say halfway house, but It's a it's a transition. It's transitional housing, Mm -hmm. and after a certain amount of time, the 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 process is that you would leave. So Tony Tolbert, he is a Harvard graduate, um, and he currently works at UCLA. So big ups to UCLA, though I shouldn't be saying that because I'm a USC alum. But I'll still say (laughs) big ups to UCLA because Tony Tolbert's great, and he is a um, and he's a law professor there, and he always wanted to do something generous um, mm-hmm. he read about a family in Atlanta who sold their who sold their house and they did a lot of great things with the money and Tony's like you know what I can't do that but I can give my house to someone who needs it for 12 months have them pay a dollar a month for rent and I'll live with my mom it's a win-win wow. for everyone mm-hmm. so he met uh, he met Felicia and Felicia had four kids uh, three of her kids were living in the halfway house with her but the oldest son because he is over 18, he was able to. So in order to reunite them, Tony let them use his house for a year. Wow. And it was, I, I mean, well, I don't wanna give, give yeah, it yeah, away, yeah. but the experience I felt, I know that Felicia was very happy having all of her children under one roof. And as everyone knows who, who's out there paying rent, when you don't have to spend money on rent, mm-hmm. life can be a lot easier because you have more money to right. spend on other things and making your life better, making changes. And during this process, people heard what Tony was doing and they allowed and they gave Felicia things to help her along the way, such as free dental treatment, free financial coaching and and various things that really made Felicia stronger and and have more time to dedicate to her children and different things she wants to do with her life over those 12 months. So what Tony did was remarkable. And in the end, he never collected the $12 that they needed to pay him. So essentially her and her family have a house for free and tony did the project um, again tw- two other times so he helped out another mother and her children and then another uh, yeah and then another family but it's just amazing what generosity and and tony wasn't doing this to get glory or anything right. but the cbs news interviewed him and a lot of newspapers covered him people were just were just overjoyed by his selflessness he didn't even know felicia he just right. went to alexandria house and said hey i hear you guys are." Need um, I hear you guys, dude, um, try to move people from from your home to a permanent residence. I want to uh-huh. give you my house for this. So I think that it was so impactful because Tony's home is in West Los Angeles. It's a bit, it's, it's close to Pico. I can't remember Pico. Oh, and okay. Yeah, so it's not too far from USC. It's about mm-hmm. 15 minutes from USC. But I think that, yeah, what Tony did was remarkable. I, yeah, I, would I do that? I don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's 12 months. It's it's my most popular documentary for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that generosity resonates with everyone from all over the world, mm-hmm. no matter what religion you are, what culture you 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 are, what language you speak. Anyone can understand generosity. And right. because my other films have been very niche, 12 months has been shown in over 15 or I think over 20 film festivals wow. in various parts of the world on every continent except Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think people just resonate with it. And that's, yeah. So I would say 12 months is definitely my most popular film. And I enjoyed making it as I enjoyed making my other films. But yeah, Tony's generosity is on another level. I could never.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to ask, in your opinion, do you think that it would be like plausible or feasible if we expanded that sort of restorative practice in order to combat like poverty or... Um, <clears throat> the system that we have in a place that clearly isn't working when it comes to transitional housing, um, if we were to expand that the same way that we're implementing um, the um, refugee crisis that we have over there in Ukraine and we're adopting refugees, would that help sort of ease the growing population of people in poverty here in our own country?
1: Ooh, that's a very deep question, Christian. No. I don't want to... So I there's many things that go into your question. So mm-hmm. I don't. So let me answer it based on my little knowledge that I have on the situation. And of course, it's based upon, upon opinions as well. I think the reason why people are in poverty and uh, as well as homelessness, it's not only the financial issue. It could be mental. It could be socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. It could be nurture nature. There's a lot of situations. It could be bad luck. So I think... For Tony to do that, I don't know if if any if everyone who receives that will will be able to leave Tony's house and not be homeless again. I think that it's very important that people are educated in the sense of um, educating their mind, educating their finances, educating their mental capacity. Because if you are struggling with mental issues, Tony's offer will not do anything for you. Right. Uh, I, I think that there needs, definitely, I agree, the system needs to change. I want to point out, though, that the U.S. has so many people. We have, what, over 330 million people? Yeah. Yeah. We're a big country. There's a lot of things smaller countries can do that can work. They also, other countries also have a shared culture. Mm-hmm. For example, I know that we were talking about Denmark. They're Danish, and the Danish culture is, is a nationality and yeah. it's an ethnicity. The U.S. doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. So... I think there's many things that we need to look at to understand how best to do it. But I definitely think starting small, say, for example, if Santa Barbara, I'm just naming cities that I know Mm -hmm. because it's a smaller city. If Santa Barbara tried this and then another city tried this and another city tried this and we can see that it could work, then go for it. But I think, yeah, I think that there's a a lot of things that have to go hand in hand with just giving someone money or yeah. giving some, you know that assurance i don't think if they don't understand how to use it, it as soon as they leave tony's home or any home they're going to fall back into the same trap
0: right right so it's more of a system-based thing that needs to be adjusted with a combination and, of different stuff yeah. exactly
1: exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah i think it's yeah. it's very very intricate and yeah very deep I, yeah. So I think starting starting small with maybe 10 people in a facility, let's see how that goes. And let's take 10 people of different backgrounds. Let's mm-hmm. take someone who was successful and then had bad luck. Let's take someone who has mental issues. Let's take someone who's been on drugs. Let's see how best to implement this based on the subjects we have. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 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 yeah, it's got to be very detailed, very thought out. And it's just not a one, what is it called? Um, how do they say? One, a one quick
0: fix. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Or one, one size fits all. But that's yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But, I but definitely, definitely agree. Yeah. yeah. And
1: th- and then it requires people who have the patience and the understanding to do this.
0: Exactly.
1: So I'm, I'm very hopeful. I, I do think that people, I don't think people want to be homeless or struggle. Yeah. I just think that they may not know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, one example is when I received my first credit card as somebody who never had money, I, you know, I, I, I had to work. Um, so I grew up in a middle class family. We, but you know, I have three sisters. So when you have three sisters, and although you have two parents who are working, you're not unless you have amazing, amazing jobs. Yeah. You're not going to be, you know. So, so I was never homeless or hungry or starving. But it's not like my parents were ballers. Right. So, you're, so you, so if you want something, then you work for it. So mm-hmm. when I first received my credit card, I was like, ah, thirty five hundred dollars, ah, <laughs> and then. Within the first six months, I mean, not that it was maxed out, but but then I had like $1,500, $2,000 debt. And it's yeah. like, whoa, oh my gosh, okay, I need to really understand how to use this. So right. I think it's something like that. You mm-hmm. just have to make people understand, teach them about financial literacy, teach them various things. So Right,
0: right. Yeah. I definitely agree. Yeah, it, it, that was just a question that I was just itching to ask.
1: No, no, please um, do. I, yeah. I love it. I yeah. love your questions. They're so, they're so thoughtful. Thank you for asking these.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, like each and every, I didn't get time to look at all of your films, but the moment that one caught my eye, I was like, okay, I, I at least need to look at the preview and things like that and the That's interviews awesome. that you did for it. Um, But let's get down to business, to the Jill of the Trade.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, So that was an amazing, amazing film. And then if I'm not mistaken, you're more accustomed to large like feature films right yes. um was this your first short film
1: yeah so i would say that this is my first short film because i made a short previously but it was for the city of newark
0: mm. i was living in newark
1: at the time and they were celebrating their 350th year anniversary so they had a call to create a, um to creatives out there to do something for them so they wanted a 30 minute documentary so i made a 30 minute documentary for them But for me, this is my first, Mm, like mm -hmm. my topic, my, you know, it's my first baby short documentary. Because like you said, everything else that I've done has been over 45 minutes. So between 45 minutes and 87 minutes. And I wanted to challenge myself to do something short. And this is to go along with what I said about not being able to do Las Matadoras because the COVID-19 pandemic Closed down all the corridas, the bullfighting arenas. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I still want to do something about women, showing uh, female empowerment and the strength of women around the world. But I need, but let me do it on a short form, a because it's virtual and yeah. there's only so much. I think there's only so much you can intrigue and entertain people with a virtual film. And b because I don't want to spend. A year or two on this let me do something shorter mm. so and a three I want to use this to promote Las Matadoras to show people what I can do in terms of telling stories about women in male dominated fields because mm. Las Matadoras is the, the, the exact yes. same thing mm-hmm. you have three women who are bullfighters I mean have you ever seen a bullfighter right. that's a woman <laughs> so that's why I so the job the trade was a challenge on many different levels but Yes, it is my first my first short, and I really wanted to make it international, and I wanted to get women from different, uh, from different cultures who speak different languages, because I, mm-hmm. I want people to understand that women's rights is not just an English-speaking thing, or it's yeah. not just an American thing, or it's not just a Middle East thing. It's every woman around the world faces the same thing, regardless of where they are.
0: Right, right. Definitely. And could you tell us a little bit about of uh, the journey that it took to find these women? Because I knew that you had to narrow it down, actually. It wasn't necessarily an issue of like, oh, is there any women that are out there doing these jobs? No, they're there. It's just that we never provide the space for them to say something. So because I won't even dare to say provide the opportunity because the opportunity is already there and they're already exercising it. They give themselves their own opportunities. Um, But if we provided the space for them to tell their stories and for us to learn from them, um, then that is something completely different in and of itself. Um, So I just wanted you to... Um, explain sort of the journey of narrowing it down because it seemed like that you actually had a large plethora of people to choose from, Um, but you had to narrow it down towards like both chemistry and then also um, their comfort in front of a camera.
1: Um,
0: So how, what was that like?
1: Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah, for that question. Another good one. you're really good at this.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> I, well, I would hope so. Uh, <laughs> Very seasoned, so yeah.
1: <laughs> you're like a pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh,
1: So, yes, so so to answer your question, the Jill of the Trade, the the journey started with obviously finding the women. So, in August of 2020, I is when I said I want to make this documentary. I would like to film before the year ends. So, Mm -hmm. I did a feeler out to all my film based networks uh, with We Are the Industry being one. I'm part of WCA, which is the Women's Cinematic. Association, I sorry USC, it's it's the Women in Cinematic Arts for the USC, I think that's what it stands for. Mm. And then DocuLink, and just asking various people around, hey, I'm looking for women, this sounded very stalkery, but hey, I'm looking for women. Mm. If you all know any, any <laughs> women who are working male dominated professions, let me know. I I to first, my idea was to have six women representing six areas of the world. Mm. Uh, I wanted one in the Americas, and then I wanted one Europe, Asia, uh, Middle East, I know that that, I know that that's really not a continent, but Middle Mm -hmm. East, uh, Africa, and Oceania. So Mm -hmm. so I'm like, okay, if I could get these women, then I would be perfect. So in talking to women, I actually reached out to women itself, one being the first sumo, the first female sumo wrestler in Japan. She actually has a, doc- has a documentary made about her. It's called Little Sumo. So no. she was one person. I I I try to get, I, and, and then I also contacted embassies, high commissions as well, because obviously they would like to promote their country and their citizens. Mm-hmm. So I contacted them. I contacted magazines because I read about women in in Time as well as um what's the other one? U.S. Not USA Today a time in another one and I contacted them anytime I saw women
2: yeah <laughs> I was
1: just like on the hunt for women right <laughs> so I would just email them social media and yeah and then various people came to me such as the uh, um women valets I never thought of that wow. we have wow. you seen many female valets
0: not oh. that many if you really think yeah. about it
1: right yeah mm-hmm. so female valets I had a woman who is a uh, data entry scientist. Uh, she's from, so of course my Trinidad community, because I had done uh, three documentaries in Trinidad, they were showcasing women. They're um, the, a, a, a female steel pan manager. You don't see that. Wow. So that came out. And then while I was trying to find these women, I was, and, and yeah, I really wanted to get women. And then the first, the first commercial pilot in Lebanon. So there's so wow. many Good, good women. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, let's try to just narrow it down to to the top five. So, um, or at that time, the top six. Mm-hmm. So the six that we ended up getting was an American plumber in the U.S. So uh, obviously, because I'm from the U.S., I had a lot of film connections there. So I got a lot of people from, from the U.S. And in trying in narrowing it down, I'm like, mm, Allison, who ended up being the woman representing the U.S. region, uh-huh. her story was so good she's like yeah I'm a female plumber I'm like y'all exist female plumber?
2: Right. I mean, <laughs>
1: <right>. <laughs> so she was incredible I was looking online for female priests and I found Olga Lucia the yeah, first yeah, yeah. female Latin American priest she's from Colombia I'm like oh she's perfect uh so I'm like I gotta get in contact with her so I so she did a, so she did a course in the U.S. so I contacted it course members and they contacted her so various ways there um i a russian uh, um software developer i was able to get her through a friend who who so i i i am part of the i'm part of the united nations association and tatiana is also and she's like oh i know a great woman from russia who's yeah. good and then so so uh, so anna made the cut and then uh, my friend Dawid from Eritrea, he's like, you know what? I just did a film out. I, I did a film in Malawi and they told me about this woman who is a mining manager in Eritrea. I'm like, perfect. Let's mm-hmm. get her. Yeah. And then the last two, was the, the first female priest, I mean, sorry, first, sorry, first, one of the only few female mayors and mm-hmm. the youngest mayor in Afghanistan. So she was actually, so she received the 2020 um, award for courage by- yeah the former first lady, Melania Trump, and at that time, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. And I said, whoa, she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, so I'm like, I gotta interview her. And then my last person was the first civil engineer in Kiribati. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kiribati, for those who may not know, it's um, it's an island in the South Pacific, very close to Vanuatu. And I really wanted to speak, because nobody ever hears about the South Pacific. Right. People are hearing now about, Samoa, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Samoa. I'm saying it wrong, but I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson has been putting Samoa on the map. Mm-hmm. So people are more are getting more familiar with that. Of course, people know of of, of Hawaii. So I really wanted to represent that region. Mm-hmm. So all these women were down for being interviewed. So we did the Zoom interview for everyone um, except Zarifa, the Afghan woman and the woman from Kiribati. The mm-hmm. internet was so bad. We couldn't do yeah, Zoom. Yeah. So I ended up recording myself with the questions and had them record their answers. Oh, Zorifa okay. was able to do it. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I'm like, that makes sense. A workaround. Yeah. Yeah. So Zorifa was able to do it, but the woman from, from Cure Body, just her inner just, just wouldn't hold up for her to yeah. download my. So I wasn't able to get her in the end. So that's how we ended up with only five women and not six, I but it, it was, it took me about four months to find my women uh, and, and, it's just really bad. Cause even here in London at train stations, I'm looking at women. I saw a woman with a hard hat and I went up to her. I'm like, Hey, yeah. <laughs>
0: <please women." laughs> where are you going?
1: And then, as you said, some people are just not camera people. Cause at the end of the day, they aren't, that right. they aren't a film people. They aren't actors. They're, right. they, 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 um, they do their professions. So in terms of finding, I, I, met, I met another software developer, just not articulate enough. And the woman I, I found at the train station here, she's like, I'm too shy. I just yeah. do my job. And that's the hard part as well, because when you're doing something through Zoom, a lot of it, as I mean, as you saw the film, a lot of it is talking heads because you don't yeah. have the opportunity to go there and film the B-roll and different things to make the interview interesting. So each woman speaks for about two and a half, three minutes. And you really need them to be engaging. And some mm-hmm. people based on their profession are just not. And mm-hmm. I know it's, it's, you want to say stereotypical, but I feel stereotypes come with a bit of truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are software developers, engineers, they're not going to be the most talkative people, right. as opposed to someone who's a comedian or someone right. who's a VR. And that's just, and that's, I think that that's the truth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's just really trying to find. So Anna, who is a software developer, she was so engaging, articulate, and, right. and 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 I'm like, okay, cool. She can work. And even Allison, the plumber, even even for her interview, she's like, okay, I had to write out my answers. Yeah. Ner- and I just appreciated that they really wanted to take the time to tell their story, even though they were a bit shy. Right. But they, but I explained to them that I really want to use this as a vehicle to promote women in. Male-dominated societies, because in the West we, although yes, there's still a bit of sexism, it can't compare to the amount of sexism in other in certain certain other parts of the world. Right. So I said for for me to do this documentary, it's going to be shown all over the world, and I really want you to tell your story to empower women and also uh, and also educate men that they need to because you know we can only do women can only do so much. In order for a change to happen, you need the support of men. Yeah. And I, and yeah, and they were, they were okay for that. They were down, they were accepting of it. And they went on to do amazing interviews, I think. Yeah. And that's how we have the Jill the Trade, as you see it.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing film. I I don't want to spoil too much of it um, because I definitely want to like share once it's, is it officially released yet? Or...
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so, okay. so we, so we did our premiere in October of 2021 last year. Oh, okay. And we, Right now, we're going through the festival route. So because yeah. it, so because we're doing the festival circuit, we can't have it shown online.
0: That part, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: As you know, right. Mm-hmm. So once we finish our festival circuit, probably by January of next year, then we're going to put it online. Um, ideally, uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix or some I don't know. There's so many out there now. Yeah, yeah. But then right now, the only way you could see it is at film festival or, or if we host a screening.
2: Right. Uh, right. So, right.
1: so um, let me just do a quick shout out too. so anyone in the New York area, we are going to be in the Latino film market between July 6th and 9th. Wow. So if you are there and you see the Jill of the Trade, uh, feel free to buy a ticket and check it out. Yeah,
0: definitely. And then I'll also put that inside of our description as well. So for all of our listeners that are over there um, in New York.
1: Nice. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you answered some of the questions that I had already um, okay. because I was like, female bullfighters, what happened to that? So <laughs> I was like, I was like, like wait, wait well, when do you anticipate it coming back now that, well, I know that COVID numbers are starting to fluctuate again and things like that, but hopefully it's a steady decline.
2: Yes. So
0: do you anticipate yourself making that film next or yes. is there something else on your radar?
1: For sure, you know what? For me, Las Matadoras is next on the list. I would okay. like to start filming next year in 2023. However, people are saying that they want Jill of the Trade Part Two. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So my thing is that if I can get a distributor, investor, any studio that would like to support me in either venture, I would love to make Jill of the Trade Part Two yeah. in this time where I go and meet and I go and meet the women. I speak to them. I film them. And, or even Las Matadoras. Las Matadoras has been close to my heart forever. It, it, as I mentioned, it is about three female bullfighters, but the three female bullfighters are different. I, I want to take the first female bullfighter, Christina. Mm-hmm. And then, so she's now retired. Then I want to speak to, um, and then she's from Spain. And then, I, and, and then Spain is where the whole bullfighting culture started. Mm-hmm. So then we want to go to Peru and speak to a bullfighter who has been doing it for a few years now. So wow. she's a veteran, so to speak. And then we want to head down to Mexico and speak to a woman. She's a fourth-generation bullfighter. Wow.
2: Her,
1: her father, grandfather, great-grandfather were bullfighters. And she travels between Mexico and Texas. By the way, Texas is the only U.S. state that allows,
0: allows, it. Yeah. Blood, um,
1: that, that allows bullfighting in the traditional Spanish sense where you kill the bull. Oh. California actually has bloodless bullfighting where you mm-hmm. don't kill the bull, but you take a flower from behind the ear. To prove that I am close enough to kill it, but instead I'm gonna take the flower and not kill it. Got it. So, so Texas is the only state that allows, uh, yeah, bullfighting where you kill the bullfighter. And this, and this, um, matador, she travels between Mexico and Texas, and she, yeah, and she, um, she performs. They don't use the word fight; they use the word perform. So it's <laughs> it's more of an entertainment. It's, it's it's like going to the theater. That's yeah. how. So I so that story has been close to my heart for forever. I actually started making communications with these women and, and I have someone who assists me in, uh, in actually telling the story properly. So I would love to do that next. However, telling a story, uh, continuing with the female empowerment stories that I've been telling. Yeah. If the Jill of the Trade part two is possible, I'm more than happy to do it. I would love to go to different countries in doing the job of the trade i met a female bodyguard she has a female bodyguard service wow. in, yes and she's from greece and she now lives in seattle and i'm thinking what this is crazy so you just met i just met so many in, in, inspirational women the first firefighter in india the first female wow. firefighter in india you know just just some yeah very uh, excited uh, in- inspirational very yeah trailblazing women so I feel that d- the job of the trade I mean it could go up to number 205 right I mean, <laughs>
0: <it's crazy. laughs> right exactly exactly I mean I think it quite necessary um especially you now have the opportunity to actually go there and interact with these women um at a more intimate level now. Um, and it can be face to face and you can get that B-roll and you might be able to see things that you weren't able to see before because you were limited there at the screen. Um, like even while getting to know them, too, you go to their job one day and what? you're like, oh, that's an interesting thing. What are you doing over there? And, you know, it's mundane to them, but completely interesting to us. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's necessary. I would watch it. I would definitely watch it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thank you and then you know christian As we're talking about a b-roll let me just give a shout out to the women in the jail of the trade again none of them are filmmakers they do their own professions as minors as priests and whatnot i gave them the task of being a filmmaker because i couldn't be there to record wow. them i said hey this is how you record mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah so the b-roll you see in the film is from them wow. so some of it may not be in focus all the time some of it may be a bit wobbly but they did the best they could with the skills they have because remember yeah. they are filmmakers um zorifa was the easiest because she is a mayor so she's a public figure she had tons of material yeah uh, but yeah other people it, it, it they didn't have that much material fair enough this mm-hmm. is not their job so I just want to give a shout out to them because they had to be put into a position right that they shouldn't have to yeah that they didn't sign up to also film, you know, right, they signed up right. to be interviewed. So I wanna thank them for making that film possible. Cause honestly, it was, it was. I said, yeah, this is a unique way of filmmaking during the pandemic where they were essentially the filmmaker. And right. I I really appreciated their time and effort to really help me tell their story. And it was another collaborative effort. So yeah, filmmaking continues to be an art where you involve a lot of people, including the, yeah the cast is also the crew.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. And then, well, uh, one thing I also wanted to ask um, in regards to this documentary and then it being like your first voluntary (laughs) shorts and things like that. Now that you've had sort of like a taste of making short films and things like that, that you're passionate about and that you've went out of your way in order to create, do you think that you'll be making more short films um, later on down the line? Or do you think that uh, longer feature films are more your forte?
1: Mm, I actually never thought about that. You know, uh, to me, I just saw the short film as something I had to do because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Mm-hmm. I. It was a challenge for me to tell a short story. I'm. I so I commend people who tell short stories. I think it's very difficult to be succinct and still engage an audience with a limited time for them to understand the characters the the joke the trade as i mentioned each woman is talking for about two and a half three minutes or maybe it's three and a half minutes by now i think yeah i think it ended up being three and a half um minutes per woman and the interviews went on for about 40 to 60 minutes so Mm. just having cutting that down to really give people that connection with the women is very very difficult Mm. but i so if If there was an opportunity to do the Joe of the Trade part two, where where we would keep it in the same format, I'm more than happy to do a short. I know Las Matadoras will be a feature. So in my mind, I never thought, uh, yeah, yeah, Christian, I never thought about it. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think about it now. I really enjoy telling longer stories. I think it's a cheat way. I mean, you see now films are over two hours, over three hours. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think people like that flexibility, but then, the, but then the danger of having a feature is that you have so much information that's not needed, Yeah, that it would have been better if this three-hour film was a 90-minute film. Mm-hmm. So as of now, I would say I will stick to features just because that's what I'm used to doing, telling a story over 45 minutes long. However, I will not say no. I mean, storytelling is storytelling. Even if you do it, uh, I have a background in journalism. So telling a story in three and a half minutes or telling a story in 87 minutes. But I, yeah, but I would say for sure next up at Las Matadoras, unless something happens. And features, I enjoy features.
0: Wow, nice, nice. Well, that's good. And then also like, I'm sure that the um, pandemic, that was one positive thing of the pandemic is that it not only proved to you that you were capable of making a short film, but also now you've, opened up your avenues to like, well, you know what? I would do that again. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> That's great. So I wanted to talk about you, how you're a Jill of the trade um,
2: <laughs> and um,
0: yes, you, because I've not only discovered that you're just a documentary filmmaker, but you've also done other work in film as well. You've AD'd. Um, you've you've been a director, you've done all sorts of things. And I wanted to get your perspective on set and working inside different environments. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced as a female filmmaker and then even as a woman of color um, as well inside of those environments? Something that's very impacted, that's, I'm gonna just say it as it is, it's white dominated, you know, especially (laughs) over here in Hollywood. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you face and how did you overcome them?
1: You know what? I get asked this question a lot and I am probably the worst person to ask this question to be <laughs> I have to say, I am so fortunate. I have not, I feel personally that I have not received any, any type of um, hindrance in my mm-hmm. filmmaking profession based on my gender and my race. Mm-hmm. I feel that I have been very fortunate to have welcoming people around me who want to further me who want to educate me in different things uh, one of the first internships I did was on only the brave it's about a, it's a Japanese war film where I was
2: Wow.
1: I, I think I was definitely the only black person on set because uh. everyone else was Japanese or uh but from there yeah it's just I've always had an interest in working with different cultures hence the name of my company is called explore the world I love learning about people learning about their stories because I would have never known about only the brave that that world war ii story it's about the only japanese regiment in the u.s or that fought in world war ii and I would have never known that if I hadn't taken the opportunity to work on that set so I've just been very fortunate where I don't feel my yeah I've been hindered by anything in watching and obviously seeing what's been going on in the in in the world about yeah uh hollywood is still dominated by white men but i think it's obviously because they're the ones with the power you know Mm -hmm. filmmaking back in the day you had to have money Mm -hmm. nowadays with phones and and even cheaper cameras various ways of again the whole nigeria thing yeah directing that dollar i think people have learned many ways and yeah, phones and social media has helped a lot. But I think back then, it only made sense that it would be dominated by white men because they were the ones that had the power, the money, the resources, right. the, uh, and now it's changing. I, yeah, so for me, I think I'm always surrounded around people who are interested in working collaboratively with people of different uh, genders, different races, different ethnicities, and it's never been a hindrance for me. So I'm very fortunate as well to have been brought up in Southern California where I don't think our issues are as big as other states' issues mm-hmm. in terms of, yeah, the sexism, the racism that goes on. Right. So I I know, yeah, that that when I get asked that question, I know people are like, <laughs> okay, I wanna hear a story, but <laughs> I can't, I, all I could say is thank you to everyone I've worked with for allowing me to work with you, for working, for letting us work together and making these stories, because without you and meaning the people I've worked with, right. the the cast, the crew, the audience, there would be no me to continue this so my only thing is that I would recommend that people just try to get on more sets because networking mm-hmm. is key the more people you know there are more opportunities you will get I think that's hands down the way it goes in film it's not something where your CV speaks volumes that's not this kind of industry mm-hmm. I think I think you really got to know people yeah so so that so that's my biggest thing as the way to keep getting ahead is just talking to people uh, letting people know you're there even working for free, if you, if, if you can't afford it, not every time, because there's been certain points where I'm like, okay, I'm not working. I'm not doing Mm -hmm. any more big projects for free, but I think, yeah, networking is key. Getting yourself with different groups, hence how I met you, Christian, through the, we are the industry group. Yeah. Just letting people know that you, you are around. I think that's the best way to, to make the connections you need. So when people think of, Hey, I need an editor. Oh, right. And they think of that person.
0: Right. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And I think that that uh, that's not a less impactful answer. That's not a less like, oh, well, that's not what we're looking for. That's the answer that should be. That's mm. what I think is the answer that should be coming out of all women's mouths. should be coming out of all minority groups and things like that, that like, no, there never was really a challenge. I was already accepted. I wasn't seen as, you know, a token filmmaker or seen as a hindrance or seen as someone different. I was seen as a member of the group in order to, you know, make sure that this story was told. Um, So I think that that's beautiful. And I think that you should stick to it, too. And never be ashamed to to say it ever. (sighs) Thank
1: you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, because I've been on some on some platforms where people I know that they want to hear something. Yeah, (laughs) something different. And I keep saying I can't I can't give that story. But yeah. So thank you for for being welcome and opening and open yeah opening for for my answer my honest yeah my truthful answer yeah
0: of course well we are nearing our cap I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation thank you, um too. I just wanted to give you a little bit of time any like plugins that you had any social media that you wanted to announce any upcoming um projects that are around the corner just wanted to give the floor to you for these last couple of minutes for that.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Christian. One thing that I realized I forgot to mention about the Jill of the Trade is that um, all the five women uh, of the five women, the only one who didn't speak English is Olga Lucia, the female Mm -hmm. priest from Colombia. However, I had every woman speak in their native tongue to Mm -hmm. really bring the to to really showcase that this problem about women in in male dominated professions having a hard time is is not just an English speaking thing. So, yeah. the, one, so the woman from from Eritrea spoke to Grinia. Zarifa from Afghanistan spoke Dari. Obviously, the Russian woman spoke Russian. I mean, yeah. And then we had um, Ovalosio spoke Spanish and Allison spoke English. So the the biggest thing was that to get that translated, that's what took the most time of this film because yeah. I don't speak a lot of those languages. So I needed to have translators to help us get that film sorted out. So I just want to give a... I want to give a shout out to my translators. And I also want to tell filmmakers, beware if you try to do something like that, (laughs) because unless you hire editors who speak that language, it's going to take a lot more time and resources than you had imagined. Um, And then the next thing I want to say is, yes. So as I mentioned, how the Jill of the Trade, we are not on any streaming platforms. Right now, we're doing the film festival circuit. Our upcoming festival is the Latino Film Market in New York between July 6th and the 10th. I don't know the date of the Jill of the Trade yet, but it will be coming out. And, and then after that, we are going to be in Barcelona for mm-hmm. the Love and Hope Film Festival in September. Obviously, we're hoping to get into something in between July mm-hmm. and September, because we have applied to a few film festivals, and I really want to try to get it out there. Um, again, we've applied to festivals where... where it, uh, in the home country of the women or close to it. Wow. So, um, so for example, there's no film festivals that I could find in Afghanistan. So we picked the, the nearest one, uh, and that would be Dubai or the UAE. So we, so we applied for Dubai. We applied for, there was nothing in Eritrea. So we applied for a festival in Kenya and yeah, Russia, they, they um, based on the situation that's going on there, yeah. they've had to postpone their festival.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the moment, Russia is getting a lot of backlash. And yeah, so I know that that's a bit difficult for citizens of the country because it's not them who created the war. Right. Right. So I know that. Yeah. So Russia's postponed theirs. And then, yeah. And then again, we applied in Colombia and and the U.S. So we're just trying to really get it out there. So definitely um, check those out if they're in your area. If you want to contact me, we are at the Jill of the Trade on Instagram. Same thing on Twitter and Facebook. We are not posting uh, regularly because there's no news to post regularly. Yeah. <laughs> but when there is news, we're there. So mm. we just had a post today. And yeah, and I would just say if, if you have any suggestions on places that we should uh, uh, promote or screen or film, definitely let me know because we can still host public screenings and that's what we want to do. So over the summer, yeah. we're trying to find different venues to put the, to, to put the film out there. We really want people to know these stories, especially Zarifa, mm-hmm. who is the Afghan mm-hmm. mayor. Y- y- um, you all know that the u s. withdrew from Afghanistan in september of of last year. So that put Zarifa in such a bad situation wow. where the Taliban came to her home and no. she had to flee the country with her family. so it's it's been very devastating for her and her family. However, she is still speaking on behalf of the treatment of women in her home country. So all of this is to help support Zarifa and the women in the film their mission of really trying to tell their story letting them letting people know that women deserve to be on an equal platform not just because we are the physically weaker gender doesn't mean that we should not be able to have the same opportunities as men is something as simple as equal pay for right. a, for an equal job. So I I think Jill the Trade and other stories similar to it will be able to push this idea and i know uh, so much is going on with the roe v wade as well so Mm -hmm. we just have to hope that things stories and more people realizing things like this exist can really help change the narrative for women around the world